You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Last week, we looked at the first half of the chapter, and we saw how Jacob realized it was time to leave Laban. And so... We're going to kind of pick it up here in the middle, or maybe you might say a third of the way through. Um, God had revealed to Jacob that it was time to go, and so Jacob gets his family ready, and they left. That's all there was to it. He didn't wait around to, uh, to be talked out of it. He, he knew that it was time for him to go because God had bigger plans for Jacob, and Laban was not working with God's plan. And so Jacob got his family ready, he put them on camels, they got their flocks, and they started, they started to go, and, and this is a big deal. This wasn't just a move. In that culture, in the Eastern, cult, Eastern culture, Laban would have still felt a strong sense of ownership over his daughters who were married to Jacob and his grandchildren. And so Laban is going to be upset when he finds out that Jacob has left, and And add to that the fact that there was already all kinds of tension between Laban and his sons and Jacob because of what we talked about a couple weeks ago and that Jacob had gotten very wealthy because of the spotted and speckled goats, that deal that they made, and Laban thinks it's all Jacob's fault, and yet God was the one doing all of that. And so here there's all this emotion, there's all this angst, it's very tense, but it's time for Jacob to leave because God has a program. God has a plan for Jacob, and that plan includes people, which he has, prosperity, which he now has, but it also includes a place. The promised land was where Jacob was supposed to be for God to really start getting the program rolling. So Jacob, it's time for him to go back to Canaan, back to the promised land, and he's, got, he's already gotten with God's program He's already about to leave, and we pick up today as they are leaving, and Laban doesn't know. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods, which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Paddan Aram, for to go to Isaac, his father, in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, and that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. So just to set the table, Laban is shearing his sheep. And if you remember, at one point, Laban had arranged it to where Jacob's flock was in one spot, and his flocks were three days' journey away. So while they're three days' journey away, shearing their sheep, that's when Jacob says it's time to go. And he noticed, too, that he leaves while Laban isn't around because he doesn't want to get uh, hung up. He doesn't want to be talked out of it. He just knows it's time to leave. But he says he sets his face toward Mount Gilead. He takes all that he has and he sets his face. Listen, if you're going to get with God's program, don't do it 50%. Do it 100%. If you're going to follow God, be all in for God. Set your face. Take all the steps that you need to to get with God's program. Look at verse 22. 
Laban, it's talking about Laban now, it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days journey. And they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. So once Laban hears that Jacob has fled, he travels back to his home. He gathers all of his servants, his men, and they pursue Jacob. And and it could have been by the time they catch up with Jacob, it could be about two weeks. Because if you think about it, they're three days away. Somebody has to go tell them that Jacob left. They've got to travel three days back. They've got to gather their resources. Then they get on the road following Jacob. And the Bible says it takes them seven days to catch up. So listen, Laban has had plenty of time to think about what he wants to do to Jacob. Laban is stewing over Jacob leaving. Laban is upset. He's angry. And he has bad intentions because based on verse 24, when God comes to him and says, take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad, that's a warning shot. And Laban had bad intentions, but God is protecting Jacob, which we'll look at even more. Look at verse 25. Then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched in his tent in the mount and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob... Now understand, this is not diplomatic negotiations here. Laban is angry. Laban overtook Jacob. Laban said to Jacob, what hast thou done? That thou hast stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters and as captives taken with the sword? Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me and didst not tell me? And then he, he probably realizes how harsh he sounds because he, he, he comes back a little softer and says, That I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs and with tabret and with harp. And hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. It is in the power, can you hear it through gritted teeth? It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. And now, though thou wouldest flee, uh, needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. For I said, peradventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. I know know what kind of guy you are, basically, is what he says. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods. Now remember, Jacob doesn't know Rachel has stolen the gods. He doesn't know that she has taken the idols. And so Jacob uh, almost gets them in big trouble and says, uh, With whomsoever, verse 32, thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maidservants' tents, but he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images 
and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent, but found them not. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before thee. For the custom of women is upon me. Um, she was on her cycle at that time. And, or at least she was using that as an excuse. And saying, I can't rise to talk with you. She was, she was being dishonest is what she's doing. And he searched but found not the images. And, La- and Jacob was wroth. And chode with Laban. That's a serious word. Uh, and Jacob answered, we'll look at it more. And said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me, whereas thou hast searched all my stuff? What hast thou found of all thy household stuff? See it here, or set it here before thy, my brethren and thy brethren. If you find it, put it out here. Let's see it, that they may judge betwixt us both. This 20 years, now listen to what he says. This 20 years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, The rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it. Whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day uh, the, the drought consumed me. And the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine, my, from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle. And thou hast changed my wages ten times. More times than I can count. Except the God, and this is the key verse. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely thou had sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. I love that truth right there. In some ways it seems to bring Laban to reality. Laban answered, verse 43, and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto these my daughters, or unto their children which they they have borne? Now therefore come thou. Let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made an heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. And, and Laban called it Jagarsa Hadutha. I was not looking forward to that. Which is Aramaic for this is hard to pronounce. And, but Jacob called it Galid. Jacob called it Galid because he says yours is too hard. We'll call it Galid. It just means this is a stone of witness. These are witnesses between us. And Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watch between me and thee when, when we are absent from one another. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives, you can see, Laban's still not happy. If thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said to Jacob, behold this heap and behold this pillar, which I have cast between me and thee. This heap be witness, this pillar be witness that I will not pass over this heap to thee and that thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge betwixt us and Jacob swear by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount 
and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his place. There's a lot here. It's a long passage, I know, and I appreciate your attention as we read it. There's so many things I could focus on. My first thought about the title this morning was, um, I was going to call it, Can This Camel Move Any Faster? Because you know that's what Leah and Rachel and Jacob were all thinking. They knew Laban was coming. But, but there's a, that thought in verse 42 is really sums it up, Jacob said again. Let me read it. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. You know what Jacob is thinking? You know what he's saying here? God's program, my protection. God's program, my protection. See, as long as I'm with him, I'm protected. And I'd like to dig into that tonight. Let's pray and ask God to bless this. Father, we need you. I can't do this without you. And I pray that you'd bless Lord, just so much to unpack. Help me to convey it in a way that pleases you in Jesus' name. Amen. I had an interesting experience this this past week. On Wednesday, I was doing some things on the west side of town. And and, uh, as I was, I had to go from there back to the middle of town somewhere for an errand. And then, and so as I was leaving the west, the western side, I, I came up to Minnesota Avenue and and turned left, and as soon as I turned left, I knew I had made a mistake. Now, Minnesota Avenue has been under construction for a long time, and it's always busy, but I thought it'd be clear on this day, Well, but it ended up not being, because I turned onto, onto Minnesota, and all I see is taillights as far as I can see, and, and I'm like, what is going on here? I look up, and I see flashing lights on Minnesota, and I see police cars, and I see uh, escort vehicles, and I, and I see three structures on the back of trucks moving down Minnesota Avenue. Apparently, they had, there were three houses, or two houses on the campus of Augustana. Maybe you saw it in the paper, and I, I read about it before, and I didn't remember until this day. But, but I, I, there were three houses, or two houses, I should say, one was an old church and one was a house on the campus of Augustana. They were moving from Augustana to another place off-site, somewhere out of town. And so they had one of the homes on the back of a truck. They had the other one on the other. And the other one, the church-looking building, was so big, they had to remove the steeple, and that was on a third vehicle. So there are three vehicles with structures on them moving down Minnesota Avenue uh, mid-morning and all kinds of traffic, everyone stopped. And by God's grace, I saw it early and was able to get off Minnesota and go around because some people I know they were going to be there for a long time. So I, I, I kind of put it out of my mind. I went and ran, ran some errands. And then about an hour later, I, I had to go back toward the west side of town. So I'm not thinking. So I get back on Minnesota Avenue And guess what's still on Minnesota Avenue? 
three cars, three trucks with structures and a steeple on them and a bunch of red lights. So I immediately, I looked ahead again and got off the road and, and actually went down uh, the other way to the freeway and got on. And as I got on the freeway, I saw the houses turning onto a, a street to go west and just car after car after car lined up behind them. I was like, thank you, Lord, for helping me avoid that twice. I, fool me once, shame on, on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So I did what I was doing on the west side of town, which may have involved Chick-fil-A with Eric Wong for lunch. Um, I don't know. So I'm on my way back. And I look down and realize I've got to get gas. So I'm coming up onto Western, the exit off 229 in Western. And I said, I'm just going to pull off here and see if I can find a place to get gas. So as I'm pulling off, guess what I see? Taillights. And so I'm already getting off the exit, and I'm like, not again. So I kind of swerve back on. There's nobody there. As I drive by, those three same houses, the three same trucks with structures and a steeple with a line of cars behind them were about to turn to go down 57th or one of those streets. And I was like, thank you, Lord. I am such a fool. (laughs) Three times. And as I, but as I was thinking about that and how humorous it was and how foolish I was, I started really actually thinking about this story. And I wondered, I, I just wonder if Jacob felt that way about Laban. Everywhere Jacob went, there's Laban and he's in his way. Every time Jacob had something that he wanted to do for God, here's Laban tricking him into serving seven more years. Uh, here's Laban changing his wages. It's like everywhere Jacob looked, Laban is in the way. Laban is keeping him from going where he wants to go. I wonder if Jacob felt that way about Laban. Year after year, he couldn't escape him. And, and now Laban and his sons are so angry, they want him to leave. But when he finally leaves, now he looks in the rearview mirror and here's Laban again. He just cannot shake his Laban problem. He's continually being pursued by Uncle Laban. He won't let him go. And he's stopping me at every point, Jacob thinks. He won't allow me to leave. He won't allow me to pursue God's program. I'm just trying to do right. And here he comes again. You ever feel like that? That every move you make, there's something in the way. Every turn you take, there's a hazard. Every bright idea you have, oh, I'll take this street. This was a terrible idea. You know, that happens to to us all the time where, you know, it seems like there are seasons of life that at every turn, there's another Laban. Everywhere I try to go, there's Laban again. And, and, And every move Jacob is making is risky now because Laban is there. It's hazardous because Laban doesn't have his best interest in mind. But what I notice here is a pattern in Jacob's life where he goes along and there's a risk that he has to take or there's a situation that's risky and Laban is there. And yet every single time the pattern is there may be a hazard, but the Lord also helps. There may be a risk, but God has a response. And every time, in every situation in this story, that's what I see is, is a pattern of risk hazard and yet God's help in God's response and I want to look at that maybe through the eyes of that opening illustration from a different perspective in just a little bit but I want you to think about hazard number one Jacob's first hazard was that was that he was trying to, to escape 
Laban. He was trying to take the family. It's a hazard because the trip is dangerous. It's a hazard because he's got children with him. It's a hazard because you realize when it says they cross the river, that's the Euphrates River. So Jacob, he's not just like, okay, let's go for a walk. No, he's having to make plans to get his wives and his children, some of whom are probably pretty small, across the Euphrates River. And after the Euphrates, it doesn't get easier. After the Euphrates, they've got to walk through the wilderness for a few weeks at least to get back to where he needs to go. There are robbers. There is weather. I mean, there's, there's a lack of water. There's probably not great sources of food. Uh, there's not a wall drug, you know, that, that have it with a sign 500 miles away, 500 miles from wall drug. No, there's not, there's not anything like that. He's taking his family into the wilderness. I mean, that's a risk. It's not the safe play. And, and not only that, but, but Laban pursues him. And if, you'll, if you look at the language here, uh, for instance, look at verse 22. It was told Laban on the third day that Jacob fled You know what that word fled implies? Jacob was trying to get away. In other words, this is battle language. That's the word that gets used when you're trying to escape an enemy. So this isn't like, you know, I got to get away from my father-in-law. No, I better escape or my father-in-law may do me harm. That's the idea. Verse 23, it says that he took his brethren with him, Laban did, and pursued. You know, that word pursued is not just, hey, we're going to hang out. That word pursued is battle language. By the end of that verse, it says he overtook them in the Mount Gilead. You know, that word overtook is not just a casual word. This is battle language. This is dangerous territory. But I want you to notice that for this risk, though God has a response. There's a hazard, but God provides help. Now, bear with me because we're going to bring it up at the end. I think it'll wrap up and and you'll understand. But I just want you to see the the risk response pattern, the hazard and help pattern. Because what's God's help here? Well, he comes to Laban in a dream. There's a risk and God responds and he comes to Laban and he says, don't you speak unto Jacob good or bad. Basically, you better watch yourself. And I'm thankful that God does that on our behalf sometimes. That, that we have him, that God, if you will, has our back. He's watching out for us. The Lord has a program. Laban is not trying to live for God's program. He's trying to interfere with the program. Jacob is afraid. This is his father-in-law. And not only that, you know that his father-in-law has, better, has more equipped servants, more equipped soldiers. But, but don't lose sight of the pattern. In that desperate situation, God came along and he had a response. He provided help. There's another risk here, another hazard in verse 26 down through verse 32 is that they have this confrontation. They have a conversation. You know, you ever have people that you know if you're going to have a conversation with them, you better be, have your big, points, your big boy pants on because it may get kind of ugly. Well, that's what's about to happen here. See, the, the second hazard is now Jacob and Laban are face to face. And Laban comes out with pistols firing. He comes out with accusation after accusation. He comes, he says, you've carried away my children like prisoners. Why? Why didn't you tell me? I would have thrown you a going away party. Uh, why didn't you let me kiss my grandsons? 
Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters goodbye? You know, he's trying to appeal to the heartstrings and, you know, he, sad music, I'm sure, is playing. You know, people are just you know, feeling bad for Laban. No, his own daughter said, when Jacob said, no, it's time to go, his daughters were like, Laban's, he's our dad, but he's not a very nice person. Let's go. They were, they were ready to leave too. Laban had spent their inheritance. And, and, and he's acting like, I just wanted to say goodbye, but that's not really what's happening. Verse 29 is where, is where you get an idea of his heart. He says, it's in the power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, hey, don't you mess with him. So it's kind of like the kid, the bully at school, and he talks real big when everybody's around. Because he knows that nothing's going to happen while everybody's around. That's what Laban does. He's like, it's in the power of my hand to do you hurt. If I wanted to, I could take you out. But you know, if it weren't for your God coming to me last night. Now he knows there's nothing he can do. But he's trying to intimidate Jacob. And he's trying to make Jacob feel like the bad guy in all of this. And then we find out what he's really angry about in verse 30. He says, and now though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? Now we see some real reasons that he's angry. Because his idols are gone. And Laban is not a worshiper of Jehovah. Laban thinks those idols are key to his success. And Rachel had taken them. We don't know her reason for taking them. Maybe she still worshiped them. Maybe she didn't want Laban to be able to use them against them. Maybe it was her way of getting her inheritance back. Um, Jewish tradition says that Rachel took those idols so that she would keep her father from idolatry. I don't know that I buy that one. We don't know her reason, but all we know is it caused problem for Jacob. You know, it's hard enough to get with God's program. Listen, it's hard enough to get with God's program. So don't make it harder for yourself by remaining attached to the world's program. You know, that's, that's kind of the idea. And we could park there for a while, but it's not the main point. But I had to say it, okay? So Jacob knows nothing of the idols. He has his own impassioned response to Laban here. Laban asks why, and Jacob answers. He says, I was afraid. I know you. You would just as soon take me down and and take Rachel and Leah and the kids back than you would throw us a party. So he implements something that enhances the risk. So again, this is a risk. There's a hazard here. They're face to face, and Laban's angry. And that risk is even enhanced because Rachel has stolen Laban's idols. So there's a high risk right now. But you know what happens? God has a response. There's a hazard, yet God provides help. And you know the help he provides? See, as, as Laban goes through Jacob's tent and doesn't find the idols, and then he goes through Leah's tent and he doesn't find the idols, then he goes through the maidservants' tents and doesn't find the idols, then he goes into Rachel's tent, and Rachel has the idea. She's going to use an excuse that she can't stand. She's taken the idols. She's put them in the camel's furniture, and somehow she's sitting on them. And you know what? I believe that God intervened and didn't allow those idols to be found, even though Rachel probably deserved it. Rachel was being dishonest. Rachel had stolen from her father. And yet we see once again that even when we do foolish things, God intervenes. 
Even when you make a decision that doesn't make sense and that you shouldn't have made and you look back with regret, God doesn't leave you in those moments to deal with it all by yourself. He's still working on your behalf. And listen, all of us have been there. We've all done something dumb. We all make bad decisions from time to time. But I'm thankful that in this situation we see that God is still working on their behalf. We all are subject to failure, mistakes, and yet God still provides his help. There's another hazard here, and that is that Jacob gets angry. See, as if, as if it wasn't bad enough that Laban is angry after Laban's fruitless search. He doesn't find any idols. Then Jacob gets angry, and he starts letting Laban have it. It says in verse 36, and Jacob was wroth. He got angry, and it says he chowed with Laban, and that word is a legal term. So this kind of becomes a courtroom in the wilderness. You've got Laban. He's making accusations, and they aren't really founded. But then you've got Jacob, and he brings his own case. And he's angry. This is a tense courtroom drama. Sparks are flying. And look at verse 36. Uh, Jacob was wroth, chode with Laban. And Jacob starts accusing Laban. Here's what you've done. He says, what's my trespass? What's my sin that thou hast pursued me, pursued so hotly after me? What have I done? Why have you searched my stuff? What, is it, what have you found in my stuff? Whatever you find, bring it out here. Can you hear it? Can you, can you hear how angry he is? Can you hear how, how angry and full of wrath? He's angry. He gets in, in Laban's face and he doesn't stop there. He starts talking about how Laban has mistreated him. He says these 20 years in verse 38, this 20 years have I been with thee. Thy ewes, thy, thy sheep, thy goats, they've not cast their young. Basically, I haven't let your flocks uh, miscarry. I've, I've taken care of your flocks. They've had healthy babies. These 20 years, they've had healthy babies. The rams of thy flock have I not eaten. I, he said, not once have I taken anything from your flock and eaten it for myself. He says, I've been faithful to you, Laban. I've helped you, Laban. I've been the kind of employee and the kind of son-in-law I should be. Verse 39, that which was torn of beasts, I brought not unto thee. He said, you know what, Laban, there were times where we'd be out in the, in the wilderness and one of your sheep or one of your goats would get, would, get, would get eaten or get torn apart by some wild animal. You know what, I didn't bring it to you and, and say, oh, look what happened. You know what I did? I would, take some, I would take my own flock. I would take a sheep or lamb out of my flock. I would replace it with my own. You didn't even know I was doing that. I mean, Jacob did things the right way. He says, I bear the loss of it. Of my hand it's out require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. He said, thus I was in the day of the drought. The drought consumed me. It was hot. There was no water. There were times it was so cold, there was frost on my body. Plenty of nights I didn't sleep. And this 20 years, I've been in your house and I've served you faithfully. And you've changed my wages 10 times, meaning as many times, more times than I can count. You know what Jacob is saying? He said, you haven't been faithful to me, but, but Laban, I've been faithful to you. I've done things the right way. I've had integrity. I, I mean, and, I don't, and I don't know if Jacob, we know that he's angry and maybe his pride is taking over, but he has a good case. 
I've been faithful and loyal, unlike you. And Jacob then turns his attention, what, what were you doing when I was being faithful? You were changing my wages. And he goes to this, verse 42, and the hinge here. And he says, you know, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely thou had sent me away now empty. If God hadn't been on my side looking out for me, you would have sent me away with nothing. He said, and not only that, you would have probably attacked me today if God hadn't come to you last night and said, don't you dare. Jacob says, you know what? Laban, God's been with me at every turn. And apparently his response has quite the effect on Laban because this is a hazard. You know, it's a hazard to get angry with somebody that's already angry. It's a hazard to confront somebody like Laban. It's a hazard to to confront somebody with that kind of volatility. You know, it's one thing to confront somebody who's, who's, who's gentle and, and humble. It's another thing to confront somebody that is angry. And you know this. You've lived life. You know what it's like. There are some people you just can't confront. They don't respond well. Laban's that guy. So Jacob takes a risk. This is a hazard. And yet, you know what happens? Something in what he says does something to soften the situation. You know what I think happens? I think God does it. Because if this is going to go to its end, now I know that Laban has been warned by God, but you know Laban's a hothead. But something about what Jacob says causes Laban. Now listen, I don't think that Laban humbles himself. If this was an invitation, he would not have responded, okay? But he does say, you know what? These are my daughters. These are my grandkids. I can't do anything to them. You know what we need to do? We need to make an altar. Now, I believe that Laban still, he's not doing this out of, out of uh, humility. He's doing it because he's resigned to it. He's doing it because this is his only option and he wants to just kind of end this. And so I believe he, he puts these conditions on, you know, all these things. And, and he says, you better not marry any other daughters. If you do, I'm coming after you. You know, that's not a bad position for a father-in-law to, to be in. You know, threaten, you know, a father-in-law should have a little sense of, you know, of... Uh, Leverage over a son-in-law. But, you know, he's not being humble. He's not, he's not doing this out of faith. He's doing this, I think he's still angry. But God does t- respond to this risk by changing Laban's demeanor. So they both agree, they take this oath, they build this altar and they part ways. Okay, here's what I want you to see. There's a pattern here. You've got a risk God responds. You've got a risk and God responds. You've got a hazard and the Lord helps. You've got a risk, a hazard, and you've got the Lord's help. You've got the Lord's response. And this pattern you see over and over in Jacob's life. And the two things, listen, the two things are not, are not unrelated in that Jacob was following God's program and God was providing his protection. Jacob was trying to do things the right way. He was trying to follow God. And honestly, he had been faithful and he'd done what he was supposed to. But in all this, guess what? The Lord was responding. 
The Lord was protecting. Every hazard was accompanied by God's help. Every single risk was blessed by God's response. God blessed Jacob. He warned Laban. He protected Rachel in the tent. He helped Laban to see that he better make a covenant with Jacob. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, and don't don't miss it. God's program and his protection are, are connected. Meaning, when God's people get with God's program, they get God's protection. When God's people get with God's program, they get God's protection. God prioritizes my protection if I prioritize his program. Hey, engage here. Wake up, okay? Because these truths are helpful. Listen, if I choose to live for God and I do right and I obey his word, I have his help. He promises that. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. It's a promise from scripture. If I choose to put God first and I make his priorities my priorities and I seek holiness as a disciple, I have his protection. As I seek God's program, he ensures my protection. You say, okay, good. That means no more problems. It's not what I'm saying. See, the point is not the absence of problems. The point is the presence of God. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Not a very present help around the trouble. Not a very present help to help you get around it. No, in the trouble, if we will put God first and we will seek his program, he will be with us in every one of our problems. God doesn't promise to no problems. No, he promises his protecting presence in the midst of our problems. And I want to go back to the opening illustration because my idea of that opening illustration was what I told you at first. Is that, you know, uh, so it's essentially, I was thinking, I'm Jacob. And those houses are Laban and they're out to get me. But you know what, really? That's backwards. See, in this illustration, those houses, those houses are Jacob. Because there's something that I missed in the illustration when I first thought about it, and it's this. See, every turn that those houses made, they had escorts. There were cars with lights. There's the police department. You see, in, in the illustration, really what it is, is that Jacob is the house and the Lord is the pilot car. And Laban is every hazard along the way. Laban is the street light that you've got to go around. And the pilot car guides the house around that street light so it doesn't destroy it. See, Laban is the curb that juts out a little too far. And the pilot, light has to, the pilot car has to help the house, to help the house around that curb. The, 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 Laban is the tree that juts out that you've got to go around. Laban is the other cars, the hazards, the risks along the way. And see, what that means is that our life is like that house, and we're going down Minnesota Avenue, and there are hazards at every turn. Everywhere you look, there's a hazard. Everywhere you look, there's a risk. But here's the thing. As long as I am following the pilot car, I don't have to worry about the hazards because he's got my back. He shows me where to turn. He warns me of the hazards. He protects me at every single turn. But you know the key? 
I better stay on the path or I no longer have his help. God's protection is guaranteed. He's your pilot car in life. And he guarantees you to help, to help you along the way. But if you say, you know what, this street looks better. I'm turning here. You know what, you lose your pilot car. And you lose your help. You lose your protection along the way. And the reason that some of you are miserable today and you feel like you're going through things alone is because you are. Because somewhere along the way, you lost sight of God's program and you got off the path and now you're trying to navigate every hazard without any help at all. And listen, you're not going to miss the hazards. Right. And it's hard enough to miss the hazards when you have a pilot car. Yeah. <laughs> well, try doing it on your own. And some of you are. And your life, a long time ago, you left God's program behind and you're trying to do it without his help. And I'm telling you, you are hitting every hazard along the way. You know, here's the thing. Life is full of Labans. It's full of hazards. And the truth is, life is full of turns and difficult obstacles and hazards for everybody. And the difference is, the ones that stay with God's program, they get the pilot car. And the ones who get off that path have to try to figure it out alone. Listen, there, there's lots of application here today. Maybe it's raising children. And you say, well, you know, I'm trying to raise children, but ma'am, I'm just not doing a good job and things aren't going very well. Listen, God has a program for raising children. And he deals with it in his word a lot. And you need to get back to God's program and discipline and train your children and raise them up to put Christ first in their lives. And I'm telling you, if you will get with God's program, you'll also have his protection in your children's lives. In a marriage, a lot of people are trying to navigate, I'm telling you, hazards in marriage all over the place. Now, I'm not saying it's bad, it's good. But there are all kinds of things that could go wrong. And if you're trying to navigate the hazards about a pilot car, just get ready to take out a street pole. Amen. Get ready to knock, a, knock a, a tree down. Get ready to get stuck somewhere because you have, you've left God's program. You got off on your own path and you don't have a pilot car to help you along the way anymore. Thinking about young people and our young people just got back from college days. And listen, we need a generation of young people that will tell people about Jesus Christ. Yes, amen. And stand up for God in your school and stand up for God with your friends. Right. We, need, we need some young people to do that. And, and yet if you try to do it without their, your, the pilot car, those hazards are at every turn. You won't make it. Yeah. But stick with God's program. Put him first in your life. Walk with him every day. Submit to your parents because they do know better. Yeah. Trust the process. And let him use your life. Listen, in every situation of life, God has a program and he wants us to just follow. And if we do, we have a pilot car to help us. You know, in salvation, God has a program. You know, God's program in salvation is this. Every one of us are sinners. Not by his choice, by ours. But his program is that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. 
And you know what? He finished the work. You know what Jesus did? You know, this is the, salvation's the one area. In salvation, he cleared all the hazards. Uh, you know, some lawnmower parents, they try to go before their kids and take all the hazards down so their children have no problems in life. You know, Jesus Christ did that for us. You know what he said as he died? It is finished. And the reason you're wringing your hands about salvation, boy, I don't know. I mean, all these hazards and all these things are coming at me and I'm not sure if I'm going to make it or not. The reason you're feeling that way is because you haven't trusted God's program for your salvation. You are a sinner and the Bible says if you die without Christ and you could today, if you died without Christ, you would spend eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell. And nobody wants that for you. You shouldn't want that for yourself. So it's time to leave your program of good works, leave your program of baptism, leave your program of good intentions or church membership or your grandfather was a pastor or whatever it is. Those programs are not adequate to help you take care of the sin in your life. There's only one program that can save you from your sin, and that's Jesus Christ. And his work is finished, and all you have to do is place your faith in that finished work. God's program is good enough for your salvation. It's time to get off your program and get on to God's. And I'm telling you, if you do that, you have protection. He protects you from the hazards because the work has already been done. And I'm just asking you today, do you want God's help in your life? Do you want, do you want his protection? Do you have a big decision coming up and you're not really sure what to do and, and you need some help? I'm telling you, the best thing you can do is get with God's program because he will help and guide you along every decision you're making. Is there something in your life that's overwhelming? And maybe you've gotten away from God's program and you're feeling the weight of it. Listen, uh, you can get back on the path and get help at every turn. You can get back on, I was thinking about this. You know, God has pilot cars. He's a pilot car. But he's also a tow truck. Meaning sometimes you're going to get stuck. And you're going to lose your way and you're going to get in a position where you can't get out of. You know what? God doesn't drive by and say, all right, see ya, I'm moving on. No, he, it says that he can pull us out of the miry clay and set our feet on a rock. God's program doesn't just include guidance. It also includes rescue. Amen, right. And today you may be in a position, you're like, I don't know how to get out of this. Well, God has not left you to fend for yourself. He provides guidance. He provides protection. He provides rescue. And whatever you're facing, God wants to help you. You know what he requires? Get with the program. So this morning, maybe you want guidance among the twists and turns and hazards. You know what you have to do? You need to cry out to God in humility and say, Father, I don't have these answers. I don't know what to do next. But one thing I do know to do is I'm going to get with your program. And whatever the hazards are after that, I can accept those because I know I have your help. If you will prioritize God's program, he will prioritize your protection, whatever you're facing. Let's stand together. Thank you for your attention. I know these long texts are... 
sometimes tedious to get through, but I I think God wants to do a work in somebody's life today. I really believe that. And maybe you've gotten so far off the program and you think, I don't know where I'm, I don't know where I went wrong, but I want to get back. Well, you can. Because it's not over just because you take a wrong turn. I'm telling you, the pilot car is ready to guide you if you will get on the right path. Now, you can keep going your own direction. Just understand this, you don't have God's protection. But why don't you get back on the path? Raising your children, in your marriage, in in your church involvement in your finances, in your relationship with your spouse. I mean, whatever it is, it's easy to get off the path. But if you will get back with God's program, he will give you his protection. Maybe it's salvation. And this morning you say, I don't know if I died today that I would be on my way to heaven. Well, all that takes is for you to take a step this morning. We have people that show you from God's word. You don't have to leave here still wondering if you're saved. Get with God's program and he'll give you eternal protection. I encourage you to respond this morning. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you bless it. Help us to respond as we should. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.